0: Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with a bunch of folks from Uber discussing their adoption of Kotlin and the challenges that they faced in a large shop, as well as some of the non-conventional things that they've been doing with the language. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Hadi. Hello. Hello. So there's too many of you uh, I think it's better for me to just, we make rounds and you introduce yourself.
1: So, uh, Zach, you want to start? Sure. Um, I, my name is, uh, Zach Sweers. I work, um, in, uh, the San Francisco office at Uber on our, um, mobile platform team. Um, so basically a lot of sort of, uh, product infra, um, working a lot with feature teams, uh, specifically on Android.
2: Hey, so I'm Edgar Fernandez. I work in Ober Amsterdam office in the Android slash Java developer experience, trying to make our developers' life easier and them happier.
3: Yeah. Uh, so hello everyone. I'm Tao Nguyen, and uh, I work. I'm working in the same office with Edgar in the same team as well. Um, uh, yeah, I've been working on developer productivity too, and uh, we improve tooling day to day to make. Uh, develop
4: their life easier yeah my name is Thales Machado uh work the same team as they and yeah I think they summarize pretty well what we do here
0: so the three of you are uh with um more or less on the same team and then Zach you're in San Francisco
1: right yeah basically they um the Amsterdam guys here work on more sort of general developer infra for like Android and Java and I work more on Basically, they work on things that touch CI, build tooling, etc., and I work on uh, a lot more sort of uh, things that ship in the in the apps. Uh, Kotlin
0: at Uber. Who wants to kick off and tell me where you are, how it
1: started, what the challenges were? Zach, you want to start? Sure. Or... Um, so uh, I I think I literally started this. I think the the first Kotlin coded Uber was. Um, a project that I worked on back in uh, summer of 2016, um, and uh, that was uh, before Kotlin became an officially supported language in Android. So it was very much uh, something that I I was only allowed to do in a separate repo um, from from all the other code. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's something that uh, that a lot of people here are aware of. Um, it's growing popularity in the community. Um, but at the same time, we've also had, you know, um, you know, I think as long as I've been here, we've had over 100 Android engineers. And um, you know, I joined in 2015. And the um, the result of that is that basically we, uh, we have to be very careful in how we uh, choose to adopt, uh, you know, new libraries, new patterns, um, and really adopting a new language is just sort of, kind of the 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 peak choice that you can make in that um we uh you know we Kotlin for the most part admittedly was a bit of a a sort of uh special interest project and people would work on it sort of in uh in spike projects but it was never something that saw um widespread adoption um and uh and actually today still still sort of hasn't it's now finally um really got wheels um, internally with, um, you know, we have uh, sort of engineering leadership approval to um, start moving forward with this. We are now in the process of doing things like this, build performance um, measurement to um, basically try to um, understand um, the implications of adoption at every level. So, um, you know, what that means for build times, what that means for developer productivity, um, what that means for um, our ability to keep up with the ecosystem. Um, what that means for existing tools. Uh, there's a there's a lot that we learned from adopting Swift in 2016. Um, to uh, I, I don't want to throw too much shade onto Swift here, but the uh, there that was a that was a bit of a trial by fire for um, adopting both a new language here at scale and also adopting. Um, Swift which um, has uh, ha- has a lot of uh, um, curve balls that it will throw you um, at different parts of it so whether it's the, the tooling and uh, build times where that was one thing that really led into the analysis that um, that the group of us have done which is basically you know one thing that came out of our sort of internal retrospective on Swift was um, we, we wish that we could have gone back in time and tried to compile, a million lines of Swift and see what, what happened. Um, um, And yeah.
0: So that's interesting. Why? I mean, given that in 2017, I guess, Google officially announced support for Kotlin, didn't that make it a little bit easier in terms of adopting or because you said that you tried to adopt Swift back in 2016. Was that really having a that much of a negative impact in that it was preventing people buying into adopting a new language such as Kotlin?
1: Um, I think that it depends on who you ask. So there's uh, if you ask an individual developer, I think um, you'll get a much different answer than what you would get from asking, say, um, a director of engineering. Um, for individual developers, I think um, you know, not everyone is going to like uh, a new language, but I think in the grand scheme of things, most people here were were very happy using Swift over Objective C. Um, there there were a lot of uh, friction points with build times and binary size, but um, at the end of the day, people um, enjoyed the the benefits that they got from from Swift. There were parts of it that um, that stung from the uh, things that we couldn't foresee, like uh, certain code patterns in Swift that we uh, internally ended up writing this, uh, uh, what's the name of it? A sort of like effective Swift document, um, sort of in the same vein as, um, I guess, like effective Java. But rather than it being about writing um, better uh, architecture and code patterns, this was actually about writing Swift in a way that would avoid these sort of pathological Um, cases in uh, compile times or binary size, Um, which uh, that's just, that's one of those things that I just never kind of, I think, would have foreseen um, uh, working with a new language. And um, basically, we're, you know, looking at Kotlin now, it's very much one of those things where we're looking at um, everything that they uh, learned sort of the hard way with adopting Swift and um, feeling much more confident being able to allow that to inform uh, what areas we need to investigate before you know flipping the on switch and telling a hundred developers to pile on with a new language um, and uh, and the result is I think that while we're not maybe where everyone would like to be with Kotlin adoption internally like we're not building um, new features widely with it there are a few teams that are um, sort of getting their feet wet with it uh, we we also feel pretty pretty confident at this point about at least what the what the tooling and uh, easily quantifiable metrics of this um, what the impact of that will be in our code base, um, so build times we have a good sense of that now with um, doing this kind of analysis, and we can use that to inform what we advise people or even rules that we make about um, project structure um, for new features going forward with it, and hopefully avoid having any sort of um, any major issues like we had in iOS. I think the okay. Uh, so let's break that down a little bit. Uh,
0: one of the things that I'm, I'm aware of, if I'm not mistaken, is that coming back to tooling, you are not the traditional Gradle shop. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Okay. So what type of tooling do you use for for your Android applications?
1: Uh, so we use a, a combination of Gradle and Buck. Um, we use a... Uh, a Gradle plugin that uh, we maintain uh, called OKBuck. Okay and we use that to basically read your Gradle configuration and generate corresponding um, Buck files that match that. And so you can get the sort of ease of use and uh, you know nice DSL um, structure of writing a build Gradle file, but get the speed and perf- uh, build performance benefits of Buck. Um, uh, and why buck because of speed um yeah basically <laughs> um i'd like to say that there would be i wish i could say that there was this overarching um you know an ecosystem and environment reason but at the end of the day uh if you if you ask 100 developers what they care about most with their with their builds 99 will probably say speed and not not much else so right because i mean in generally 100 percent of the
0: developers well not 100 percent but the majority of the developers aren't really maintaining a build system right they're just using the build system in a sense right especially in a larger team where normally you have a few people that are the ones that are uh, kind of maintaining the build right the other ones are just consumers of it talus you're on the build system team right if i'm not mistaken Yep. Yeah. yeah so how how does it work with Kotlin and Buck? I mean, how how much of a problem is that in terms of adoption of Kotlin? Was it a big showstopper? All right. So
4: first, uh, uh, I'll answer a little bit more of why Buck. Um, that is because back in time when we started to, to switch on Buck, uh, Gradle didn't have a good support for like parallel builds and Buck had uh, a really good uh, solution for that already. And another thing, it was that Greta would rely a lot on incremental building to, to get speed, and that caused you for not being able to debug um, very, in a way that you could replicate the state for a developer of yours that ha- was having a problem, for example, Buck on the, the opposite side, all the builds are reproducible, so you can, you don't need to understand the state and do the given change to being able to uh, get the same error that a uh, given developers is having. You can just run a bug uh, for a given rule that it has and you'll get the same error. So this reproducible build was really important for us at the scale that we were to, to being able to help developers if they were having
3: problems, for example. Um, um, yep. Yeah, additionally, so uh, in 2016, we uh, have a rewrite in for iOS app from uh, Authenticity to Swift. And there's only one choice for iOS at that time is to use the, the adult bug. And if we're doing the same thing for Android, then we can you know, minimize the and um, We can get some expertise from iOS as well. And in the end, uh, end of the day, then we, we, we have the same knowledge you know, and we can support each other.
4: Yeah, right. So for the the Kotlin perspective, um, as Buck is a, a, a Facebook uh, built system, uh, I don't think that Facebook yet does Kotlin internally, or they're, if they're starting, I think they're starting now. Uh, so the, the Buck support for Kotlin itself is all made by the community. So people that used Buck or wanted to to spread out Kotlin through other build systems started collaborating into Buck and adding the the support for Kotlin itself. And for example, back in 2017, I was adding the the support for KPT to run on Buck because we needed that on my previous company. And the the way of doing that was really uh, getting Gradle to build uh, with a verbose flag and understand what are all the calls to, to Kotlin that you have to make, and what are the flags that you need to pass on, how do you configure KPT, for example, so we can say that the the, the implementation of bug support on, uh, on Kotlin support on Buck itself is probably not uh, optimal because it was not made like with supervision from JetBrains team and anyone from Kotlin team guaranteeing that, okay, this is the better way to do it. Uh, right now in the state that we are, we, we begin syncing with the JetBrains teams and now we hope that we can like... Uh, make our doubts about what should go where and what is the best way to, to perform this. And we can improve a lot of the build times on Buck itself. But we, we, we will definitely see improvements on there.
0: So at the stage that it's now, would you recommend folks to switch to Buck if they're doing Android development at a larger scale like you are? And
4: um, For Kotlin
0: itself, I think, Yeah, for Kotlin, obviously. For Kotlin
4: itself, I think you you should, like, for example, with the OKBuck plugin, you can really just switch on to Buck, test it, and see if that works for you. So you can really see on your end if that will be a very big performance impact or if it will be good. Because depends on how modularized your project is, you can still take benefits from Buck itself and get speed. So it's not, you cannot say... uh, uh, it's a simple way to answer yes or no. You, you really have the test on your case what what's the, the end, and you can do it easily with Okibut. Okay,
0: but if I'm not mistaken, I mean I don't do a lot of Android development. If people don't already know, which they probably don't do know, because I've said it a million times, but isn't I mean Android Studio and Gradle are are completely bound to each other, right? So how do you manage that aspect of it if you're using something like Buck? Yeah, Buck
4: have the option to, to generate a project for IntelliJ. Um, I, I don't have the details, maybe someone else from the team does, but we don't use Android Studio internally, we only use IntelliJ. Uh, but I, I personally don't know the, the, the reason if anyone from the team- Yeah, uh,
3: so for IntelliJ, right, so Buck have a way to generate a project for IntelliJ, as Thales already said, and at the same time we, uh, we have um, bug plugin for IntelliJ. So a lot of a lot of feature on IntelliJ can be uh, integrated with uh, the bug plugin and when you do uh, and when you um, when you use IntelliJ this can can translate into bug action. Uh, for example, if you um, if you press on view, uh, then uh, we actually invoke bug to run behind the scene and build uh, the target for you. Um, yeah. I think uh, yeah. if
2: I can just say a little bit on this, uh, I think it all comes down on how prepared you are to deal with this sort of tools. So dealing with Buck, from my point of view, is not very trivial. So as Talis mentioned before, uh, the support for Kotlin inside Buck is mainly done by the open source community, if you don't have a team inside your company that is able to keep looking at that, and then every time that JetBrains release a new version of Kotlin, uh, check if it will be compliant with your version of your build system, uh, or if you don't have a team that is looking in the integration with the IDE to make sure that every new update will nicely fit with the version of the IDE that you have, then I think it would be a risky option to just switch to buck and coupling at the point here at uber we have the developer experience in looking the in the in both parts actually. Uh, integration uh, with the uh, build system and the new Kotlin release and how it will work with uh, the newer bug release. Sometimes the new Kotlin breaks, sometimes the new bug breaks, and we have our teams to keep looking and uh, trying to make them work together. And we also have a sub team inside our team that is working in IntelliJ itself. So, uh, as we cannot go to Android Studio, as you mentioned, because it's very tied with Gradle, we have a team that uh, looks how we can use use the the IntelliJ community version for the Android development, so this thing...
0: What is the turnaround there? Like, I mean, from the time that maybe Box releases a new version or, or Kotlin has a new version and it breaks. I, I you know I guess it depends on how badly it may be broken but like how 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 fast is the turnaround yeah
2: so this is a really interesting question uh I think we do not have uh uh empirical data or an average of this it will really depend on what went wrong if it was bug that went wrong if it's something with kotlin that went wrong but it really depends and we as we are having this sort of experience more often I think we are still trying to establish the process, come up with SLOs and, and the proper way of dealing with this sort of situation. Uh, but usually uh, Zach, that is from the platform team and one of the heaviest team that use Kotlin uh, in the company at the moment, they are the first one to get hit by the problem and then they notify us and then we try to uh, prioritize this task to unblock them. So it might take a while, uh, I would say usually uh, uh two weeks or, or a little bit more than that. the other guys that are more involved to that uh, might answer
1: so Zach, how good are they <laughs> they're
2: they're they're pretty good um
1: the uh, especially when it comes to the sort of very nitty gritty of if it's something of how Kotlin uh, works inside of Buck um you know for instance, like having someone like Talas that has actually contributed something as. Significant as say um, and complicated as capped support to Buck. Um, that means that he basically has sort of, uh, I'm going to put him on, on the spot here a little bit, probably uh, knows about as much as really anyone else in the world does about how to make Kotlin work in Buck. Um, and having that sort of expertise on hand, um, we, we are really fortunate um, to, to have that kind of resourcing. Um, I can give a couple of actually uh, potentially interesting examples of the um the sort of update uh, process for us um with that so um basically in for most of last the last year and a half or so um updates were basically seamless um every time there was a new kotlin version we would just update uh the version in the mono repo and uh and that, and that was it um where things got interesting recently um was when uh, Kotlin one point three point two came out, um, there was a, a uh, I guess a somewhat significant refactoring of a lot of the um, compiler artifacts. So, like the Kotlin compiler, it's uh, if you go look at like the JetBrains release page for an individual release, it's um, the it's multiple artifacts that sort of all uh, work in harmony, and um, and the way that Buck is Buck's Kotlin support is implemented is basically uh you know Talas and some other people um on a handful of occasions have kind of sat down and eyeballed how these things all uh connect together and tried to re-stitch that um you know from site uh into into buck and when those things move around obviously the Gradle plugin um that uh, comes as a first party tool from JetBrains supports it out of the box because it you know it's built by JetBrains but then when those artifacts get shuffled around there's a lot of sort of Implicit assumptions that uh, can get broken. So with one point three point two, those were shuffled around a little bit, um, and uh, we had to basically restructure um, the uh, a lot of basically where the Kotlin support in Buck needed to look to find these artifacts. Um, and that update ended up as a result taking probably um, I don't know like a month or month and a half or something. It definitely you know it felt like a sort of abrupt. Um, uh, pause because of how seamless all the other updates had gone. And, uh, and we had, we hadn't really experienced dealing with an update like that before. So that, that's sort of like a, a textbook example of the kind of issue you might run into with trying it on a, um, on a sort of third party build system, um, like that. We have other sort of interesting issues too, where it's more like missing feature parity. Um, Buck for a long time did not support um, internal access, Um, so like the internal modifier in Kotlin when you try to access it from tests. And that's because there is a special compiler flag uh, called friend paths that are passed into test projects to tell them that they are allowed to touch the internal parts of whatever code they're testing. Um, The compiler flag for that wasn't added until Kotlin 1.2.7, and uh, Buck support for that compiler flag wasn't added um, until we contributed it in, I think like January of this year. So our code base just had a bunch of places where you would have like internal, but in comments with like a comment above it saying like, would be internal, but buck. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, we were eventually able to catch that up uh, later. And we still have some other cases like this as well, like um, compiling with uh, uh, compiler avoidance um, or sorry, compilation avoidance. And being able to use uh, Kotlin's new um, ABI jar generation, um, we still have to implement support for that. Um, things like multi-platform are a, a long way away from from making. It yeah, I was going to yeah. say
0: because, like, right now, even we only support Gradle in that, right? Right. Um, so, what what in terms of actual adoption of Kotlin as a language, and especially in the light of that you mentioned that you have a monorepo, how is that working? I mean, wh- how did you start to adopt the language? Was it similar to everywhere else where you basically started to convert some Java to Kotlin? And the fact that it's a monorepo, did that have a uh, impact on this?
1: So the um, so I should clarify, uh, when I say monorepo, um, we have uh, multiple monorepos um, because I guess we like to make things confusing. Um, (laughs) we, uh, we, we have a monorepo for Android that has all of the Android, um, apps and libraries. We have a monorepo for iOS. We have a, um, the beginnings of a monorepo for backend, um, or backend Java. And, uh, so yeah, when I say monorepo, I'm just talking about, uh, Android. Um, but in, uh, in that basically, um, uh, truth be told, it, it sort of started with, um, with me and a couple of other people on mobile platform, um, building sort of tooling components. Um, so nothing that's shipped in the app, but I uh, think like annotation processors or um, uh, Gradle plugins um, back when we were using Gradle. Um, you know. So basically more sort of infrastructure, uh, build hook, um, compile time kinds of things. Um, and uh, we sort of started with that and that ended up actually in hindsight i think being a great way to get our feet wet in a way that didn't feel like we were potentially uh shipping risk if that makes sense um nothing was going into production if something was broken then worst case it was a you know it, it was a local uh development time thing and we could we could address that quickly um it was never something that we would find out about in you know play store reviews and um and we sort of started with that. and what was nice about that was that by the time that we had started to switch to Buck, um, that ended up paying off really well because we had a sort of like foothold for um, for Kotlin as far as like saying we have um, several now important tools that we need to be able to support. and that um, that meant that sort of Kotlin had day one um, you know uh, requirements in Buck that um, allowed us to continue. Adopting it more as we started moving more and more into Buck. And since then, now, um, most of, in terms of like by volume, I guess, in lines of code of Kotlin in the code base, um, the vast majority of it is still in tooling. Um, we, uh, we use it for now also more like internal applications. Um, so we have like a style guide. Um, app that um, feature developers and designers can use, um, and that is all written in Kotlin. Um, a coworker that I sit next to, um, he so we by the nature of our work, we do a lot of migratory work as well, like migrating to new APIs or um, you know adopting a new version of a library or fixing a pattern. And we uh, it's historically a lot of stuff that you know if we can do it with structural replace it. Um, in the in the IDE, that's great, but the monorepo is also getting to a point where structural replace over two thousand modules um, is uh, um, difficult on the on the computer, um, and uh, and we've actually started. Um, you know, you can write scripts that do maybe simple um, regexes for this, and in the past, I think we may have done this in you know Python or something, um, and uh, Frankly, nowadays I think most of the time we just use Kotlin for it. Um, the coworker who sits next to me has basically his own private directory of experimental scripts in the monorepo of just a bunch of uh, KTS or Kotlin scripts uh, things he's written for tons of migrations. And um, and it's it's yeah it it's a we can use it for not just Android development, but actually we've used it. it its biggest value to us has been as tooling so far, and that in turn has enabled us to. Um, discover any quirks with it as more engineers adopt it um, and what what it means for the build system. Um, And now we're at a point where there are many teams that are starting to write their tests in Kotlin um, so that they can get their feet wet with it, Um, especially teams that have people that have maybe never used the language um, before or don't have that much experience with it. Um, Again, they're able to do that in a sort of de-risked fashion. Um, We have some... Teams that are actually 100% on Kotlin um, in our um, ATG, or uh, basically like the group that works in driverless cars and things like that. So, um, you know, driverless cars will one day have a little like tablet in the back of the car that um, is like what passengers engage with, and all of that is being done in Kotlin. Um, and uh, and there are some teams that are also shipping Kotlin code um, in production as sort of. You know they're starting with like utility classes, um, not really anything in the in the realm of mass converting some se- uh, segment of code, but rather they'll build out or they'll build a new um, part, or they'll write new code um, in a separate module, and they'll start using that incrementally.
0: And you mentioned before we started recording that there there are folks also looking into adopting Kotlin on the back end
1: yeah there's there's not too much going on in that front um, perhaps the, the, the Amsterdam guys can speak more to this um, but basically the my understanding of it is that um, when we were going through the sort of formal process of um, you know submitting a proposal and evaluation to um, the engineering leadership here um, the the Java backend uh, folks basically uh, saw that and said we want in. Um, so I think that's still fairly early stages, but there's, um, yeah, there's definitely, um, interest on, uh, adopting it in back end here as well, which I think is, uh, pretty exciting because that's, um, that's a sort of much more controllable environment when it comes to say shipping to production than mobile. And it might mean that they can maybe adopt it at a faster cadence than we can because they don't, Yeah, they can always just redeploy if something is broken as opposed to having to go through a rollout process with the Play Store. Right.
0: Now, Edgar, you do the analysis stuff, right, in terms of performance?
2: Yeah, me and the other guys in Amsterdam as well. (laughs)
0: okay and i know that you folks have been working on something that you're going to be uh announcing soon do you want to tell us a little bit more about that
2: uh yeah so basically one of the steps that we wanted to follow prior to the full Kotlin adoption where we would say to any team at the company if they want to write their own modules in Kotlin they are free to do that uh, we wanted to understand what would be the impact of these adoption in the monorepo um, so basically for that, uh, we were in a unique position given our network layer in the way we generated that. So Zach and his team uh, were responsible for creating a really nice project that would generate our, our network layer from thrift files. Um, and the way they built that allows us to pass uh, certain flags to the program that is generating the project so we can change the morphology of the of these projects that we are generated uh so basically we can uh with a simple command line say if you want to generate all the projects in java or all the projects in kotlin or a mix of both of them a mix with more kotlin or a mix with more java or even uh, enable or disable some kotlin specific features so thanks to that we had a really good subject for our testing and we could check how it would behave uh in in ci mostly uh, which is one of the things that we are mostly interested so what we have done it's uh create a script that would orchestrate this whole work uh we came up with 13 scenarios that we wanted to evaluate like mix source pure Kotlin, pure java Uh, enabling uh, KPT, enabling APT, and uh, even checking on stuff like error prone, which we rely a lot currently in in our production environment. So we've been running experiments for two weeks. Uh, Every two hours, we would have a bunch of new metrics and we were able to analyze the the aggregation of them uh, later on, coming up with some really interesting insights.
0: And you're going to make this public, right? The results?
2: Yeah. Uh, we are finishing writing a blog post that should be available in our company, Angel Blog, soon.
0: OK, great. And so, what is the verdict? And please remember that if the verdict is negative in terms of adoption of Kotlin, I'll edit all of this out. <laughs> I'm
2: joking. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, we came up with some really interesting uh, stuff. Um, so, one of the things that we can mention here, for instance, is we figure out a big uh, overhead that Aeropron is adding on top of Java. It's not specifically to Kotlin, but it was a little bit of a surprise to us. So we found that uh, on top of uh, Java C specifically, not the build time perceived by the end user. Because we, during this analysis, we tried to us isolate the effects of the build system in in the metrics that we were collecting. Because there's stuff that is specific to Gradle. There's stuff that's specific to Buck. We didn't want to compare the build systems. We just wanted to understand what is the overhead for the compiler in in this 13 scenarios that I just mentioned. So the first insight we got is that uh, AeroPron was actually adding 70% on top of Java C. we have some reasons uh we have some suspects for for this basically uh we we heavily rely on uh aeropron for our static analysis nowadays so we have around 60 custom checkers and probably the amount of them or some of them being poorly written might be the cause for this uh big overhead uh we also noted that the java notation processor overhead was very low so apt uh, was adding only five percent or so, but it's it's very important to mention that as we were not focusing in analyzing pure java we we our projects were not generating many files uh, but we also believe that as apt is there for a really long time and it was designed to work with the java c uh, their its performance would be better than Kpt anyways. Uh, We also noticed that uh, Kotlin list and explicit types uh, had almost no impact on the overall compilation, which was uh, really good to see. Also... uh, Um,
1: Just to chime in here, so that was uh, not something that we actually had originally planned to measure, but that was something that um, the iOS engineers on my team um, who had basically sort of shepherded the whole Swift migration Um, That was the only thing in all of this that they wanted to know about was how does Kotlin's compiler handle implicit types and explicit types, because that apparently, um, particularly when it comes to generics, um, was one of the single biggest headaches that they had with Swift, and that's a sort of an interesting case of how that was able to inform what we looked for um, in this.
2: Yep. So continuing on that, uh, the Kotlin new typing inference uh, added an overhead of around eight percent in the completion time. Um, we we figure out later on that our projects might not have uh, really good representativeness in terms of having a project with the same size where we just vary the amount of Java and the amount of Kotlin. So, for making a proper analysis, we would have like this control group, and then we would have the same number of files and just vary the percentage of them that would be Java and would be Kotlin. So, we, we didn't have that. So, we noticed later on that actually the number of files in the project was biasing the, the compiler, the compilation time way more than the percentage of Java. Uh, in the project, so unfortunately, we we prefer to not draw any conclusion uh, on this part specifically. Um, we did validate that mixes source with many Java behave poorly and uh, performance in the performance of KPT was not very good. And I think that Talis can explain a little bit why it was not good and what can be done to improve it.
4: Yeah, so uh, I think it's worth mentioning as well is that uh, the truth files that we have right now, they generated over 340 projects. So for each time we run the benchmark, we would generate all those projects 13 times, which are the, the experiments that Edgar mentioned. And these was run over and over and over. So we generated a lot a lot of data. And we did that, uh, as Edgar mentioned, on the CI with machines that were dedicated for this experiment. So they would have the same environment, um, the same CPU, the same run available. So we tried to make the data uh, as reliable as we could so it wouldn't have interference about any other software running on the machine. For example, if local people are doing that locally and then reporting for us the data. what what was good news is that pure kotlin was not uh very harmful when compared to how we use java which we, is like with aerobrom and EPT. so we saw an overhead of 13 percent um, which means that uh, basically we did a survey back uh, before doing this this benchmark and uh, with all the android engineers and uh, Zach can correct me uh, with the, the correct number, but most of the people would say that if the performance impact of adopt, adopting Kotlin would not be superior to uh, 50% overhead, they would still be happy to adopt Kotlin. So this this might be a great news for us to, to convince the team and and say that we want to go forward with it. Uh, on the part of KPT itself, uh, we were sharing this data with the JetBrains, JetBrains team and we figured out that the way that buck implemented uh, kpt so in other words the the, the way that i implemented kpt um <laughs> uh, is not optimal um back then what we what i did as i said is to like get gradle with a verbose flag and understand how, what were the calls and um, between this this while uh, nobody ever looked into kpt and buck anymore and there is a new way of uh, configuring KPT to run in a single uh, Kotlin call together with the compilation. So, what KPT does is first generate stubs. So, it gets your Kotlin code and generates a bunch of <clears throat> uh, uh, Java files that would uh, represent those Kotlin code, and then run the, the, the KPT itself. Uh, and then at the final end, uh, with all the generated files, it will call Kotlin C to, to compile everything together. So basically, Buck did this, did, did this with three uh, Kotlin compiler calls. What we figured out is this can be done with only one compiler call, and you could get the, the, overhaul of, the overhead of lo- loading the compiler uh, three times to only one.
0: Um, we... And that's something that you're working on now changing? Or...
4: Yeah, uh, I did this, this request. It's open in Buck uh, already. But the main problem is, when you're uh, running kpt, if you have any annotation processing that is meant to generate Kotlin files, you have to pass a a, a configuration option to where is the directory that you want files to be generated on. And this new flag uh, for calling the the, the compiler only once still doesn't support uh, that flag. So any annotation processing that will generate Kotlin files, for example, moshi, uh, can't work with that implementation yet. So JetBrains team said that they'll try to prioritize that for the next release of the Kotlin compiler so that works out and then we can update back for it to work. So right now we can't do that in Buck because the Kotlin compiler itself is not able to to uh, to work with that scenario. But we surely, as soon as this new version of Kotlin goes out and we can update that in bug, we want to get the experiment to run again and see how how performant this was with the data that we got here in our publishing.
0: Cool. We're running out of time. But before we finish off, uh, just a couple of questions. So first of all, all the work that you're doing in terms of bug support under Uber Engineering, that's available open source somewhere for others to leverage?
4: Yeah, definitely. It's all made in bug. We, we do have an internal version uh, of bug. But we try not to put anything in that that could be contributed uh, back to the community. So normally it's just things that we really need uh, to use internally and has no value for the community. But all of the things like optimizations in compile time or anything that could uh, uh, give any value back to the community, we go for the the, the real Facebook bug and open up PR there and try to get it merged. So it's it's all in there.
1: Cool.
0: Well, and we appreciate the support that you're doing there, obviously. Thank you for that. And uh, regarding this report analysis that you're preparing, uh, this will be out by the time that this podcast is out. Is that is that right, Zach? Yeah, it should be. Okay, cool. So we'll add that to the show notes as well. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks, all of you, for joining and taking part. And I'm really... Uh, I mean, it's really nice to hear everything that you're doing, not only in terms of buck support, but that generally Kotlin is now being accepted and adopted at Uber. So thanks for all your hard work or everyone involved.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of credit goes also to, uh, to um, uh, I guess, really the great work that you guys have done at, at JetBrains. And uh, I think one thing that has been, um, yeah, it's not something that will make a big appearance necessarily, and say like sharing our our analysis data. But um, I think something that is unique about being able to do this kind of case study is that JetBrains makes themselves so available to um, to developers that are that are using Kotlin, and uh, the fact that we were able to, you know, just uh, you know, ping you and be connected with the team and be able to to go over the results and. Uh, you know, like Talas was just talking about, like find out that there's actually a much more optimal way um, to, to implement this and um, the sort of, I guess, spirit of collaboration that um, that exists in the Kotlin community um, has really enabled this kind of work. And I think a lot of that uh, starts with, uh, with how you all have, have done this at JetBrains. So thank you.
0: I appreciate that, and I think I mean at the end of the day, this is you know mutual benefits, right? If we if we can help and and you can help us with feedback, it just works better for everyone. So, you know, thanks again for for being for collaborating on this as well. Great. Well, thanks again for coming on, and uh, until next time.
2: Thank you for having us.